Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Frank Abagnale Jr. actually showed up to our opening night. And like I, I met the actual man, Frank Abagnale Jr. <laughs> like How was, did we not start there. out with this? Are you I serious? Know. Yeah, he's, he was like kind of part of the process. And like they brought him up on stage and... You know, it was it was a whole moment. Like a, he's he's a living, breathing human that still exists in the world today. Okay, so what's his what's his vibe like? I mean, he's kind of this towering man. You know, he's very oh, like he's he's a big dude. Yeah, he's he's like I don't know six something. You wow. know, and he's of course like I could tell that like, and he's a man of an older age now. But I mean, you could tell that like, oh yeah, he probably could have gotten whatever he wanted back in the sixties. Cause he's just this handsome towering figure with all this swagger and charisma. And, you know, I think that <laughs> the fact that he's been around for a Spielberg movie and now a Broadway show that's like based on his like wild life. And he came out semi unscathed and is now like making crazy money from like a security company that he started. And then it partnered with, the guy with Hanratty, like after the fact, you know, it's it's a truly wild story. <laughs> it is a wild story. And even if a lot of it is made up, like that's just as Frank Jr. as uh, as it would be if it was like word for word true, because so true. just think of that con. I made up a story about myself and then got Steven Spielberg to, to make a movie about it. Hey, and hey. then convinced an entire team to work a decade to turn that into a musical? Like, that's the <laughs> long con. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are discussing the musical Catch Me If You Can, which was a listener request from many of you, including both Aaron and Jen. Jen is a high school drama and musical theater director and teacher in Canada, and she said they put on Catch Me If You Can back in 2019, and now it's in her top five favorite musicals. Well, Jen and Aaron, I know it's taken me quite a while to cover this, but trust I don't forget, I just look for the perfect time and guest, and they are both here. Our guest is one of the most versatile musical theater performers out there. I mean, who else do you know who could be on Broadway in Hair and the Phantom of the Opera? And, catch me if you can, he has more tricks up his sleeve than Frank Abagnale himself. Everyone, 
Please welcome Jay Armstrong Johnson. Yay! Oh, what a generous intro, sir. Ah. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so you were in the original cast of Catch Me If You Can. I was. So talk to me. When did you join the show? What was going on in your life at the time? Um, I had just finished Hair on Broadway in 2010, I believe, and um, I was kind of unemployed at the time. I was doing a few regional gigs, um, just kind of like seeing where... The wind might blow me, and um, an audition came up to be Aaron Tveit's standby um, and catch me if you can. And I had a manager at the time that was actually really good friends with Aaron's manager, and so oh. it felt synchronistic in that way. Um, yeah. So, I, and I'd also met Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman when I had done Hairspray at the Weston Playhouse in Vermont when I was 19, because um, oh they gosh. came up to see that production, because it was the first regional production of Hairspray that had been kind of scaled down, um, like cast size-wise, so they were kind of seeing, they went up there to see how it, how it kind of and... played, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got to meet Mark and Scott, which was oh really goodness. cool, <laughs> I was 19 years old, and um, in a twist of events, uh, my Tracy Turnblad, Marissa Perry, ended up on Broadway in Hairspray as Tracy, like, the next year. So that was wow. that was kind of cool. So going into Catch Me If You Can and auditioning for that, I already knew um, Mark and Scott. And I think my audition, I like went in initially, I sang. I don't even remember what I sang. Maybe they had me sing Goodbye from the show, actually. Gosh, and then I, with a bang. That, exactly. <laughs> then I, I got a call back and then they had a dance call. Um, and I was like five minutes late to the dance call. Um, oh my gosh, and I panic remember, just entered my heart. Literally panic. So I walk into the studio and I get like daggers from Jerry Mitchell off the bat because I'm five minutes late. So I'm like, well, this is going well. Um, But I come from a dance background and I don't think that Jerry necessarily knew that. I mean, I I had done the tour of a chorus line a few years prior and dance was kind of my uh, my bag. It's kind of how I got my literal foot in the door um, of the industry. So I made sure pointed. (laughs) That's right. Very pointed, well-placed foot. Um, so I made sure to dance my ass off in that call and really kind of um, change Jerry Mitchell's perspective of me as a human who walked in five minutes late. And I think I did all right. I think I surprised him with, um, you know, being called back as a principal um, and then to have the kind of dance ability that I had. So then I went yeah, in I mean, is second. there anything more frank than to like have the card stacked against you and then through <laughs> sheer charm and, and ability <laughs> change someone's mind? That's so real. I haven't even thought about it like that. <laughs> um, so then they brought me back for my final callback and it was between me and one other actor. Why can't I remember who it was? But I, he was a friend at the time and... I was, I mean, of course, I was super nervous and really, really wanting um, this next thing on Broadway. Um, and I got it. Um, so incredible. So then I started. So I actually wasn't a part of the Fifth Avenue production in Seattle. They brought me in to stand by for Aaron when I went to Broadway. Wow. And I mean, Aaron Tveit, who, of course, played Frank Jr., Chords of Steel. So did you ever go on? <laughs> Not once. Not a once? Not a once. Aaron's wow. a workhorse man. Um, and he, he, I think he rarely calls out of any show that he does. Oh gosh. Um, so, Which is, yeah. doesn't happen much these That's days true. to have someone who doesn't. I mean, just because of how life is it's it, and how shows are built. It's not just like right. Carol Channing being pushed through the show, regardless of if she can do it or not. That that's impressive. Good for him. 
Yeah, good for him. I mean, you know, I was just sitting backstage on my butt, making a paycheck, not having to do a darn thing. But just so be you ready listen to case. the show quite a few times. Yeah, for about seven months, eight shows a week. <laughs> All right. So to talk about this show, we have to, of course, first talk about Hairspray, which opened on Broadway in 2003. And everyone can go back and listen to our episode all about that show, which features actually, Jay, your Catch Me castmate, Sabrina Sloan. Oh, I love Sabrina. What oh, those golden vocal cords. Uh, right? Just so warm. Warm She's and incredible. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Hairspray opens. And I mean, it's just about as universally loved by both audiences and, and critics as anything could be. And, of course, the horrible question that immediately rises to the surface when something like that happens is, what's next? And it's a terrible question with (laughs) just so many unfair expectations and judgments. But for for composing team, um, like you mentioned, Mark Shaman and Scott Women, it was Catch Me If You Can, which was a Steven Spielberg film that is loosely based on an autobiography by Frank Abagnale Jr. that's even more loosely based on his life. So I just want to know from your perspective, why do you think that they picked the show? Why was this their their big follow-up? Well, what's kind of interesting is that I know that the show was in development for 10 years before it actually like wound up on Broadway in 2011. So they were working on this show prior to Hairspray even opening on Broadway. Really? So, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, if it opened in 2011 and it, and it took 10 years for it to get to Broadway, then they had to have Then they had to have been developing right. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So that was a piece of information. To, as a young actor, I was like, it took a decade to get a show to yeah, Broadway? So I that mean, was kind of like, oh, wow. Forever, doesn't <laughs> it? This is what we do. Um, yeah. So, I th- you know, Mark and Scott are so genius, um, especially with that time period. I mean, the, the 60s, 60s, you know, man. both Hairspray and Catch Me If You Can are like kind of like set in the 60s. So their uh, their ability to kind of encapsulate that sound um, is like, I think they're the best in the business. TDH. Oh, 100%. And this goes for film, too. You, right. You're watching a, a comedic film that takes place in the 60s. Pretty sure the the whole score or any like little song is going to be at least arranged by Mark Shaman. <laughs> for sure. I didn't realize my affinity and love for Mark Shaman's work until I actually went back and kind of realized the movies that he was a part of that I loved as a child. Yeah, like, and that act. he might be the Just, reason why you love them, Sister Act, Hocus Pocus. Sure. Absolutely. You know, speaking yes. of Hocus Pocus, that's like <laughs> your, one of your big things. That's I just right. totally put that together. That's hilarious. Yeah, You're, I just got off you, a call about Hocus Pocus because we are, we are in the trenches, hon. I bet it's coming up quick. Where do you do that again? Um, this year we are actually changing venues. Um, we are gonna. We haven't even announced this yet, so this <gasps> is information that you're getting firsthand, oh and you're the gosh, first one. Um, we're gonna be at Sony Hall this year um, on wow. October 23rd, um, and we're really, really excited. We have a few exciting. Tony Buzzy people that are already on board for it um, that I can't necessarily give you the names of quite yet of course, until our okay. press release goes out. But we're That's we're really, really excited to be live again because we've been virtual our last two years because of the pandemic. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize yeah. it was two years that you you did the virtual thing. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Congratulations and welcome Damn, back. Thanks. Um, but yeah, so 60s girl group, you can't do better than, than Shaman. Yeah, you really can't. I mean, I, I think... Going back and looking at like kind of the Tony Awards in 2011, 
when we did catch me, I was like, how did this score not get nominated for best score? Mm-hmm. <laughs> first of all, because it's an mm-hmm. incredible score. At There's nothing got, like it. Right. I mean, at least he got nominated for best orchestrations and he probably he should have won for best orchestrations because there's like truly some of the best orchestrations of any Broadway cast album like I've ever listened to. Um, but yeah, they know they know how to entertain and and sound, you know? Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. Also, fun fact, I just want to put this in here. If if any of the listeners remember from our Big Fish episode, so Steven Spielberg was actually going to do Big Fish. And then he switched to Catch Me, if you can. So from a thematic standpoint, you can kind of see how the two have a lot in common in terms of father and son relationships and mm. kind of and also dishonesty and does it even matter? All, all of those sorts of themes going together. And now both of them are musicals. So go for yeah, it. And Norbert Leo Butts was a part of both, which is wild. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. You're exactly right. Uh, so, so catch me when it comes out as a movie, big old, huge hit nominated for two Oscars. It's the kind of movie we don't see a lot right now, which is like a grown up drama. That's also fun and expensive and stylish, but also makes a ton of money, which Mm -hmm. makes me sad. Right. But so when they decide to then turn it into the musical, Mark Shaman and Scott women aren't the only members of the hairspray team to come on. They also have Jack O'Brien as director and Jerry Mitchell, as you mentioned before, as choreographer. Right. And it the workshops start in 2005, at least from what I could research, the like the the private workshops, not the writing, but the actual staging stuff. Sure. Start in 20, in 2005 and it eventually opens in Seattle at the 5th Avenue in 2009 and then doesn't go to Broadway until 2011. So I can imagine that there were a lot of changes on top of just waiting for money and uh, scheduling and those sorts of things. Do you know about any of those changes, like how the show morphed over the years? Not really, to be completely honest, since like, yeah. Yeah. I kind of became a part of the show when it went to Broadway. So I think they kind of worked out a lot of the kinks and rewrites from Seattle to Broadway because there really wasn't a workshop process that I was Privy that you to. were noticing. I yeah. was just kind of like shunked into like first day of school, Broadway, 2011. But there was there was a lot of conversation, particularly brought up by Norbert in the rehearsal room about like how to tell this story. And um, I, if I remember correctly, Norbert was um, was concerned about this use of this like TV variety show thing that the works so yeah the device that works so well in hairspray um, and I remember Norbert kind of like getting into some pretty heated conversations with Jack um, about what it would mean to use this device for this story and how he felt like it could maybe um, take the uh, the the drama out from underneath it a bit um, by using this device and it I remember it got pretty tense in rehearsal and Norbert is. I mean, he's a genius. I love watching him work. He truly gives 110% in the room and he he really drinks the Kool-Aid on every project and is super, super invested. So I just remember like hanging on his every word and watching how he had these conversations and how he carried himself in the room and carried himself as like a lead of a Broadway show. And it's funny how it all kind of panned out because looking back at a lot of the reviews, that was kind of um, where people were critical with the piece was how that device didn't necessarily pay off in the way that it did with Hairspray. And then Norbert ended up getting the Tony Award. And so it, it was kind of funny. That was That's a little, you know, behind the scenes tea that I just spilt a bit. 
Um, no, but I mean, he's right. And I, I think that we've learned something important here, which is that uh, Norbert Leo Butts is always correct. The Butts that, always knows. That's correct. That's, that's, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> uh, so you guys open in 2011. Like I said, a lot of expectation about the, the entire team from Hairspray and some of the cast coming back for a new show. For sure. What was the, what was the vibe? What was the feeling on the Broadway? I mean, I think because like the majority of the team from Hairspray was mounting this, that they had this idea. They created this buzz around Catch Me that was super exciting and they'd been here before and they really felt like they had something special and they really did. Um, I think where we had the like wind taken out of our sails is when all the Tony nominations came out. I mean, it was such an intense year that year with it was a jam packed year. Oh yeah, Book of Mormon and Scottsboro Boys and Sister Act and Women on the Verge and Bloody Bloody, Bloody, Bloody Andrew Jackson, Jackson. Priscilla hey. Queen of the Desert, Baby It's mm-hmm. You. I mean, it was such a huge Baby It's You. Oh my gosh, I forgot about <laughs> Baby It's uh, You. I think the, the other one was Shout Out Cassie picture, I believe. Ah, Sorry. for sure. Uh, People in the Picture, I think, was the other <laughs> Oh, that's right. Um, musical. A beautiful show that I would have loved to have seen Donna Murphy. Right? Yeah. Same. So, you know, when you're in the same season as the Book of Mormon, which is still running on Broadway and, you know, said, said to be the greatest comedy musical of all time, you know, that it's hard. <laughs> but, and Ben um, Brownlee needs to calm his jets a little bit with that one. But yes, I completely <laughs> understand your point. Totally. Um, so that yeah. was... That was that was hard for the whole cast, for the whole creative team. I think it was hard for Jerry and Jack and um, Mark and Scott, and you know, because they'd worked a decade on this show. You know, mm. started kind of cultivating it before Hairspray was even a thing. So I think they had a lot riding on it. Um, but that's the biz, baby. No, it really is. It totally is. And it did get the best musical nomination, which was it did. which was great. Like I said, especially in a, a season where. So many didn't get the best musical nomination. Right. Uh, but it was shut out of both best book and best score, best mm-hmm. director, choreographer, I think. Right. That, that it was kind of a hard blow. How are audiences? I remember audiences being pretty receptive to it. I mean, and I was in a lot of those audiences just watching the show as like an offstage standby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they seem to really love it and of course i hadn't seen book of mormon yet and i hadn't seen priscilla queen of the desert yet so i didn't know kind of what we were up against but it seemed like it was working really well and it was beautiful to look at and it sounded incredible and william ivy long's costumes were so beautiful and i don't know i you know i drink the kool-aid on (laughs) on every project that i do but you know this it was it was i thought it was a really special show and it's entire it does it feels it feels very unique in the musical Mm. theater canon which is one of the reasons why uh i really respect it Mm. the other reason i like it is because i i did it i did a a regional production of it in southern california great cast beautifully sung shout out jacob heron played frank jr and was great i have never had so much fun in a show that i was pretty sure didn't work yeah. Does that make sense? And I mean that as like the best compliment ever. I had so much fun in the show and I also was totally aware by the audience's reaction that it was a little mixed. For sure. I know exactly what you mean. I think 
anyone that has ever done cats before feels the same way. Like it's super fun on stage to pretend to be a cat and to like dance those moves and sing that. Yeah, that, that is some powerful Kool Aid for sure. <laughs> but like you know, the audience is maybe not necessarily enjoying it as much at as the, the cats same level. On stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, they may be enjoying it, but there's no way that the immersive experience that you're experiencing on stage is matched. Right. Yeah, I I mean, I living in the show, living in the sound of the show, the style of the show, like there is a lot of wish fulfillment and I just had a freaking blast. So I think that it may have even more fans because of that. I think so, too. Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii. So now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 that's musical theater with an er and use code musical theater 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month that's code musical theater 50 at factormeals.com slash musical theater 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month while your subscription is active Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How do you feel about all of the movie turned musical adaptations? Like, (laughs) because sometimes, and this is purely opinion, sometimes I I reserve my judgment because... Back in the day, the musicals were adapted from plays or books, and now they're adapted from movies. So, like, it doesn't bother me. But then every once in a while, you're like, okay, did they just get a list of properties that somebody already owned and then, like, chose which one they could maybe musicalize? You know what I mean? It's kind of a, a taste thing, but what do you think? What I'll say is, like, I'll reserve my judgment until I see the show. A- you know like amen what a great yes yes that like, is I, awesome i love that i mean I, I love the idea of new musicals and new ideas and those are so hard to come by these days but you know it's show business and mm-hmm. there's there's got to be some sort of commercial reason to put something on broadway because you know five percent of musicals really become a success so yeah. you know I, I get it from a producing standpoint to kind of take an entity that is well known um, throughout culture and taking movies is a a great way to do that. And I think some movie musicals are better than others. You know, I think that Catch Me If You Can is a fantastic musical. It maybe missed the mark a little bit and was in a hard season. You know, if Book of Mormon hadn't been around, who knows? Catch Me If You Can maybe would have gotten the best musical nom or taken home more Tonys. But yeah, I'm working on um, 
adaptation of the great gatsby right now um because that property just became public domain so um and i of course i have the baz lerman film so deep in my head because i just i love that film but i've I've loved the book since high school so it's fun to be a part of actual and a, a process currently where i'm watching a creative team take a property that is so well known and turn it into a musical i it's a brilliant idea but just show me what you got and see if it can be elevated in a musical format because sometimes stories don't necessarily work as well in a musical format it just depends on on that creative team it really does well we will talk about this adaptation as we go through the story which i'm really excited to do so let's start at the top shall we yeah all right so right at the beginning we're in an airport it's the 1960s and Frank Abagnale Jr., who's this con man, is is being cornered by some FBI agents in the airport. And the main FBI guy is Carl Hanratty, who, by the way, not, a, not the actual name of the guy who was always chasing Frank Jr., I didn't realize. That guy's name was Joseph, wait, I even pulled it up, Joseph <laughs> Shea. Shout out Joseph Shea. Uh, they changed his name for... Movie? The book? Was it or was it the movie? I don't know. I'm yeah. pretending like I know and I simply don't. <laughs> uh, so we got Carl Hanratty who, and his you know team of goons who uh, have Frank Jr. cornered. And Frank immediately starts kind of twisting details here and there to try and split their attention, to try and distract them. And Hanratty immediately calls it out and says, don't fall for it. He's doing his tricks. He's trying to put on a show. And that phrase is all that Frank Jr. needs to realize, oh, my gosh, he's absolutely right. It's time to put on a show. It's time to tell my story. And he promises Hanratty, if you let me tell my story, we'll, we'll get real. Hanratty very reluctantly agrees and the stage comes to life in this 1960s variety show type experience. The kind that Donnie and Marie had and Sonny and Cher, all all of those great variety specials. So like you mentioned, there's this device. And I mean, I agree a little bit with Mr. Butts because at some point in the stage musical of Catch Me If You Can, I almost feel, and by the way, book written by Terrence McNally. So like, who the crap am I? <laughs> um, I? I just get this feeling that the show feels a little trapped by the device. Hmm. That they, like it was decided upon, that they were really excited by it. But then in the minutia of trying to justify it for the entire show, it starts to get a, a, a little trapped. And uh, this opening song is called Live in Living Color. Great opening number. It is a great opening number. So you got to rehearse it a lot, I, I assume. Yeah, I mean, we had understudy rehearsals, I think, once or twice a week. Um, and so I even got to do it on stage a few times. And there was one tech rehearsal, actually, that they like gave Aaron the morning off. So I got to step in, and they were teching... Um, jet set, actually. And there's, oh, this, wow. in, there's this incredible moment where... Frank Abagnale Jr. gets to like come up on an elevator from below the stage level and he has his like his pilot's uniform on. He gets to turn around and have his solo. So I got to actually do that on stage with full tech. And so that was like my, probably my favorite part of the entire experience. And I remember in the middle of me doing 
Frank's verse, I like saw Aaron like come in through the back at the back of the theater. He was like watching me. I got like super nervous. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> that was the only time I really got to grace the stage with tech and lights and sound and all the wow. other characters. Yeah. Dang. Dang. <laughs> that I well, okay. I'm already like pausing in the middle of the story, but do you like that? Do you like the standby life, or is it this constant churn of anxiety? Um, yeah, it's it's a tough life. Um, I was semi good at it because I studied theater and I come from a dance background and I loved doing it and I loved that part of my brain. But it's uh, absolutely stressful um, and it's the uh, <laughs> it's a it's a hard gig, you know. Um, it's a uh, people chilling <laughs> and waiting for their moment and having to be ready to step in at a moment's notice. And it really takes a specific human um, to do that kind of a job. And most yeah. of my friends that are understudies and swings love it so much that they want to be that. And mm. I did not. <laughs> well, that's great. For sure. What do you think is the, the detail that makes you want to do it? You know what I mean? What's the... Yeah, I think the monotony of an eight-show week is also daunting. I mean, mm. doing... Phantom of the Opera on Broadway for a year and a half was lovely and an incredible experience, but it's so hard to step onto a stage nine months into a run and do the same thing over and over and over again. And you're just hoping someone screws up a line or something goes weird tech wise. So it feels like something new. So Can I someone think please barf in the audience, just anything, <laughs> anything, literally anything just to make our lives fun. Um, so I think that the swing understudy is that person that, um, thrives in the non-monotony of it um, mm. the, the unknown um, that you could walk in and you could have the night off or you could be the leading <laughs> player in the entire show that's and correct. either way you're good or covid takes out three of your cast members and all of a sudden you're doing a split track and you're doing two different tracks all at once you know it's, uh, oh my gosh it's a, it's a whole it's a whole world <laughs> yeah that's crazy that's crazy yeah for sure okay so now we're in the show uh, Frank is telling us his story live in living color. We go back in time to when he's a, a young lad, uh, even younger lad, shall we say. Uh, he's He grows up in New Rochelle, New York with his parents, Frank Sr., who, I mean, is just the tree from which he fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, a con man in his own right, but just incredibly uh, charismatic and interesting. Um, Played famously he, by Tom Wopat. I mean, I love the Wopat. I love the Wopat. He is wild. He's he is that crooner. He is that like laid back jazz dude. You know, he's he's just a dude's dude. He was so funny and so ridiculous to work with. I love that guy. I I think he has such a cool voice. Yeah, for and sure. actually, this kind of goes across the board because it's same with Norbert. Amazing character actors that sing much better than they ever deserve to. Oh, for sure. You know, like the wild and crazy choices that they're making and yet are completely in control of their instruments. Mm -hmm. It's really inspiring. For sure. Frank Sr., I mean, he's such a con man that he kind of conned his way into a marriage (laughs) with Paula, who is the mother. She is of French descent, and they met during uh, the World War and he, i mean she married him without him even speaking any french you know like this is this is how charismatic he is hmm. and and frank junior has this vision of 
those two always dancing. Like as long as they're dancing, there's something romantic about their relationship while ignoring the realistic elements of the dysfunction of his household. Right. I mean, which we all do as children. We buy into the the fantasy of it. But I, I, I say that because it's so important. That fantasy is really what fuels Frank Jr.'s entire story. Yeah, it fuels the conceit of the show, you know, for him to kind of fantasize his life in these 60s TV specials. You know, I think that's how it could have worked. There's just, I don't know what the piece was that was missing because it is actually a beautiful conceit. And the fact that he is a con man, he pretended to be a pilot and he pretended to be a doctor. And so this idea of stepping into roles that he not actually is to create this fantasy world is actually really smart. I just don't know. I just don't know where it went wrong. It was just like slightly off. Yeah. You can analyze it to death. <laughs> no, no, it's so true. It works when it's from Frank Jr.'s standpoint. When the story starts going more into Carl Hanratty territory, then it doesn't mm. make any sense. Right. That's so, so true. So if it was just a Frank Jr. story about him trying to find a father figure and he thought it was Frank Sr. and it just en- and it ended up being this FBI agent who was trying to <laughs> trying yeah. to nab him, then I, I mean, think the conceit works. But yeah, maybe if there was more like other meta scenes that took us out of the world of the play and into Hanratty, Frank Abagnale Jr. land, and then Frank's like, well, now you've got to tell your story. You know, there was mm-hmm. just a thread missing that didn't tie the rest of the cast into that television special world. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Also, shout out to Rachel Benedette who played Paula in that gorgeous French accent. She slayed it. <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, the song that Frank senior teaches frank jr he has a lot of lessons throughout this show but the first one is the pinstripes are all that they see and this is all about which baseball team once we get into sports i'm out what, it's what the yankees what, is it the yankees the yeah. yankees had pinstripes on their suits right and frank senior says that that's the reason that they won is that when the yankees ran out onto the field everyone was mesmerized by the the, the pinstripes that they couldn't even you know play the sport So that is the symbol or the metaphor that he's trying to teach his young son, which is the details don't really matter as long as you're giving the people what they want, which I mean, is there anything more American? For sure. It's a fake it till you make it. It's a give them the old razzle dazzle. It's a dress it up and pretend to be something and they'll they'll fall for it. Kind of. Another reason why this show works really well as a musical. I mean, yeah. it falls right in alignment with The Music Man and Barnum, and, you know, all of those Absolutely. quintessential American stories. Yeah, 110 in the Shade as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever done that show? You'd be you'd be great in that show. I did it in college actually. Um I did played you? Jimmy and I had oh, so cute. much fun. Um, are you a Midwest boy or are you East Coast? I'm from Texas, honey. I'm from the South. You are not. I where am. from? Where in Texas? Uh, Fort Worth. <gasps> Get out of here. Okay, Born so, and raised. Sorry, listeners. You're going to have to listen to me talk about my mission again. I served a mission for my church in Texas, Fort Worth. No way. Yes, ma'am. That's wild. Where yeah. in Fort Worth? So... When I was there, the Fort Worth area was enormous. It went all the way out to like Albaline and into like Tucumcari, uh, New Mexico, all the way down to uh, 
Ozona. I don't mm-hmm. like just huge, huge area. So I spent my first year in like the West. And then the second year was Fort Worth. I was North side for about six months. And then I was South side, which included downtown. Cool. When was that? It's a great year? place. Let's see. I was there. This is going to date me. I was there 2001 to 2003. I was there. I was in high school, hon. You were in high school. Where? Like Hearst? Where did you live? Um, I was Fort Worth proper. We lived in like West Fort Worth up towards like Alito, mm-hmm. um, but still in Fort Worth because Fort Worth's huge. It's like what yeah. the 12th largest city in America, which is yeah. wild to me. But then I went to, I ended up graduating from the Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts. So I was, I was a dance major oh at a fine arts school. Yeah. I remember, so like on your mission, you can't really take in any media whatsoever, but I was given a tour of Bass Hall while I was there and I walked in and just like felt so, just everything. I felt everything. You heard the angels (laughs) sing. It's the most gorgeous place. Because there's literal angels trumpeting on the side of the building. Yeah. 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 um, I got lucky because all of the shows that I did through Casa Mignana all got produced at the Bass. So oh, gosh. all of my professional jobs that I did as a 13 to 16-year-old, 17-year-old were all were at the Bass that, Hall. my heavens. Yeah, yeah it was it's wild. A, it's a great facility. Anyway, really okay, is. so back to, back to Catch Me Move again. <laughs> Frank Jr. takes on this con man type uh, view of the world I mean, there are so many little great scenelets that get stuck in here, whether he is pretending to be a substitute teacher at his school because he speaks French, thanks to to mom, right? Uh, or he's sneaking his way onto trains by pretending to have a, a train ticket. I mean, there, there are just so many little great moments. Uh, this is all told in, a, I mean, another great bop, someone else's skin. Uh, right here at the top of the show, it's just boom, 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 these numbers back to back. Yeah. Well, and that was the like straw that breaks the camel's back is that Paula and Frank Sr. are getting a divorce question. That's true. Mark? That is true. That's one of the little scenelets. Is like, and it, it is rough, too. I, yeah. I always felt like this scene would be very triggering <laughs> for many people watching where they're in a courtroom and they keep telling Frank Jr. to like choose which parent he wants <sighs> to live with. Wild. So... He runs away. He's like, you know what? I'm, I choose none of you. I'm going to go off and be on my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fake it till I make it somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and be in someone else's skin. That's right. So he learns how, he soon learns how to create fake checks. Remember checks? Mm. Remember? Uh, good times. <laughs> and in doing so, starts living. In the process of creating those checks, he one day sees some stewardesses who are getting off of their job on in an airline. And I mean, Frank Jr.'s a little horny as well. I mean, who's not? <laughs> Humans. Humans. So he decides, well, in order to hang around the stewardesses, I am going to pretend to be a pilot. Um, how, many, how many straight boys have found themselves in musical theater because of this very thing? Um, the he fakes his way into a co-pilot occupation by you like everybody has to have a certain i I think for safety kind of like standbys he's kind of the standby (laughs) right for sure um and i mean luckily no people were harmed in the making of his pilot career yeah i mean to fake those credentials though like 
my god he was a mastermind yeah and this is the fact this is based on a true story is like it's is is wild it's wild yeah, of course he goes and ends up working for the FBI because he's the best at being a con person. So now he's going to be the best at catching the con people. So exactly, exactly. Sorry, I, I put the cart before the horse. I, I told no, the end no, of the story no, I mean, right here at the beginning. We, we all know, we all know. <laughs> this song, Jet Set, another great... Okay, so can we talk about your ensemble of women in this show? Oh my God. The ladies in that ensemble were one, the kindest, two, the most talented, and three, had like hundreds of Broadway credits between all of them. I mean, just to name a few, we talked about Sabrina earlier, um, but Sarah Strimmel was like a, a Jerry Mitchell girl. And also Rochelle Rack is iconic from that. Um, every Fosse. little step. Yeah. And, every and little Fosse, step. And like, Fosse. Yeah. Katie Weber is like one of the more beautiful creatures on this planet. Angie Schwar, um, who just played, one of the leads in the prom musical not too long ago. So they were all so amazing. And I think Jerry's work with them was, was really fun and it it gave you what you wanted in a musical. Those, Mm -hmm. you know, who doesn't love a long legged lady. And it very easily could have felt exploitative. Hmm, For sure. But it honestly felt showcasing. I think so. Because yeah, uh, totally it, right. it, it's one of the things that maybe hasn't aged well about this story is how mm-hmm. you know woman hungry this character is, and and so it, it is all about. <laughs> which honestly, when I heard that Jen did the show in high school, I'm like, wow, really? But the idea, and I think this goes a lot to Jerry, is that these women were showcased for being incredible creatures to be celebrated rather than exploited. Yeah, and triple threats. You know, yes. it's uh, it's not often that an ensemble um, gets such featured characters and roles and, and moments. It's genius. Yeah. Now let's go to Carl Hanratty. See, so now we have to go to the other side of the story. And I think that this is when the device is like, how do we justify this? Carl is looking for this guy who keeps forging all of these checks, right? Because obviously the, the checks are bouncing eventually. And Hanratty figures out that this huge problem can all kind of go back to one individual. And I know I've criticized a little bit, but like shout out to Terrence McNally for figuring out a way to communicate to an audience in a theater about all of these things that as a you know citizen of the United States, I have no knowledge of whatsoever. Right. It's, it's pretty sure. clear. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough story to tell when you can actually see the devices in front of you and how the checks are being printed and what, yeah, that's, it gets into like documentary feature moments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You know, without, and talking sure. about the tiniest little details that like an audience, even in the front row, isn't going to be able to see. Right. Uh, so it, it, no small feat there. Hanratty is, how would you describe him? What kind of a, what kind of a character is this guy? Um, I, I think that Hanratty and Frank Abagnale Jr. are like foils um, on the same path because Hanratty's a, a workaholic, right? Um, he's so uh, so hell-bent on catching bad guys. I mean, um, don't break the rules. That's his entire like life's work. Um, it's what keeps him keeps him going you know that's that scene the christmas scene where he actually finds out that frank is a kid you know the fact that he's working on christmas eve i think that that's kind of 
where Hanratty like ticks, right? Yeah. So as Hanratty, I mean, speaking ticking, of somebody who like thrives on consistency of doing eight shows a week, Carl Hanratty would be an amazing Broadway performer because he, oh, he would sure. never get bored of doing yeah. the same thing and doing it exactly by the letter of the law. He'd never call out, just like Aaron Tveit. <laughs> His standby would never go on. Bless that uh, standby part. Yeah. Right. I mean, and then there's a joke at the end of the show that Frank says, they're like, are you going to finally take some time off, Hanratty? You know, so yeah. that thread is throughout the course of the show of, of his workaholicism. Uh, let's talk about some of his songs that he gets. So Breaking All the Rules. I mean, yeah. one of the showstoppers in the entire oh, yeah. show. Such high energy from a character who seemingly has no energy. And also surprisingly difficult to sing because it just keeps getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it it really is why he won the Tony and, and more power to him. Yeah, it, it is the showstopper. I mean, I think that there were a few nights that like there was a standing ovation after that number for Norbert and that ensemble after that number. And it was the number that we did on the Tonys. And I say we because I asked Jerry if I could dance with the ensemble at the Tonys and he let me. Yes, so, I didn't so, know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you actually go back and watch the Tony performance. I'm like directly up center of Norbert the whole time because that was the only like blank space on stage in the pattern. So I'm actually dancing with the ensemble ensemble that entire time which we're is posting it we're so gonna look fun. we're gonna look for it nice that's amazing yeah i mean it's an incredible tune it's so witty of course because you know mark and scott's lyrics always slap always know? always mm-hmm. these lyrics are just the most clever things and it's really the fantastic Jews. choreography <laughs> yeah i mean that's one of the, when i go and teach dance master classes wherever um that's one of my go-to dance classes i teach is because it's it's so high energy, but it's not like triple pirouettes into like a cooter slam. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's all very character based um, choreography that like really any level can do. It's just um, it's it's the quickness of executing the movement that's actually the hard part. But it's it's genius choreography by Jerry. How fun! Another one of Hanratty's songs, "The Man Inside the Clues," which is about as film noir as we get. For sure. Right, because if we're if we're looking at this as a as a special, then Hanratty section it goes very like uh, the big sleep, you know, it goes very mm-hmm. film noir for sure. That's where he's finding all the clues. He's finding um, like the Flash. Um, <gasps> what are you like, What are you holding up right now? Okay, so when I booked Catch Me If You Can, I because Frank Abagnale Jr. is obsessed with the Flash and with comic books in general, and like that's not my bag so i actually uh, bought these like flash books so i could kind of like oh that's adorable yeah so i've had these for over a decade now and i would like just got them off my shelf when i knew we were gonna have this meeting that's so cute barry allen himself (laughs) that's Um, awesome so that's where handwriting's like finding the flash comics and finding like a jar of open peanut butter and being you know like what is what are these clues like like, who is this man why does he wear shoes that don't match like does he have a child (laughs) (laughs) exactly nope he is a child he is a child that is something that constantly like escapes my brain is how young this kid is yeah i think he started conning at like 17 right yeah and apparently there have been a lot of investigations since the book came out and it became a movie and Mm -hmm. musical and everything about how much of that story is true Mm. because you better believe if frank abagnale jr was a con person con man 
then uh, that didn't stop when he became a writer. <laughs> so a lot of these stories have been exaggerated for sure. For sure. One of them being the time that he spent in jail because mm. he he was in jail at like 17 for a little bit because he had stolen a car or something like that. Oh, but wow. like you said, starting really, really young here with this life. For sure. One of the other little lessons that I think takes him to this place of uh, just sheer ambition and, and uh, unapologetic uh, conning is Butter Out of Cream, mm, which one of those classic songs. I, I, this, this could have been recorded by Frank Sinatra. Yeah, and I think the dialogue between Frank Abagnale Jr. and Frank Abagnale Sr.'s verses is like, hey, dad, this is your verse. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to sing. He's like, no, this is a duet. You know, right, like like a Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, and, yeah totally. totally. Um, it's such a great story, too. The idea is that this mouse falls into a bucket of cream, and he's, the mouse is like, well, either I drown or I swim so fast that I churn the cream into butter and then crawl out. Right. Once again, that kind of scrappy American outlook on life, that's yeah. and what the fact this that it's country happening, was built on. It's happening between father and son after... The kind of FBI investigation of it all, you know, it's like yeah. his father is aware that Frank's gone off and become a con man, and so mm. instead of being like, "Turn yourself in, son," he's saying, "All you gotta do is turn that butter into cream." You know? right. <laughs> like, 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 see wild. this out. Keep yeah, going. Exactly. Like, good, good work, son. The pinstripes. You're doing the pinstripe thing. Way to go. <laughs> he's yes anding him. He's like, "You you got the pinstripes. Now we're adding some some butter and cream for sure." Like you mentioned earlier, the the first act ends with Carl Hanratty realizing who he's chasing, which is right. a, a, a little kid. And Frank, I think, is also feeling lonely because at some point, and correct me if I'm wrong, because heaven knows you you played this dude, he realizes what he's chasing is that that fantasy of the family that he never had. Right. And, and so yeah. His yeah. only connection to a human really while he's on the run is this FBI agent that's like trying to find him. And so the father son dynamic then turns to the FBI agent, you know, and I think that's where it actually gets, the story gets really deep and emotional, especially in that scene. Cause it's around Christmas time. And if you've ever been alone on a holiday, like Christmas, like I, which I have before, I mean, that kind of deep longing and loneliness that you can only feel on a holiday where you're supposed to be with your closest. Um, you know, it, it's a really great, it's a really great moment that kind of, um, I think turns Hanratty as well because at first he's going after an adult man who's a bad guy and mm -hmm. you don't break rules and now he's going after a child whose parents have split up and he's you know running from the reality of his life so yeah and is just as lonely as he is for sure yeah and then you get these two foils that are very very lonely in their own worlds and finding each other through these wild means it's really compelling. It really is. <laughs> I'm ready to see this thing. It's great.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, listeners. Have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii. So now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musical theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So act two begins, and now we've kind of left the pilot life behind. Uh, Unfortunately, that doesn't mean that he's on the straight and narrow. Frank Jr. instead has now decided to take more lives into his hands by pretending to be a doctor <laughs> in New Orleans in New Orleans and why did he do it not because of stewardesses but because of nurses that's right q doctor's orders ugh which the orchestra starts and it sounds like the beginning of son of a preacher man for sure so like they each of these songs is inspired by some pastiche of 1960s music and this one i think is my favorite it's so it's so locked into uh what it is but also is really exciting and is its own thing yeah i i loved it so much because um it was kind of the one moment in the show that jerry kind of allowed for more of a contemporary spin in terms of the movement and so our our dance captain nick kenkel who comes from like more of the contemporary hip-hop world actually helped jerry form this number um and so the the movement is a bit is a bit more hip-hop focused Um, interesting and i was like i loved it because i just i love hip-hop and i love music videos and you know i i I love that genre but it was i couldn't tell if it was taking away from the story or if i was just like loving it because i'm like you know a pop culture fiend but it it was definitely one of my favorites to watch on stage for sure. That is interesting. I got to say that it's one of the only up-tempo numbers in the second act. Because right. we start after Doctor's Orders, which features so much great belting oh, um, and sure. great harmonies and everything. By the way, John McDaniel, your musical director. Oh, incredible. I love him. Incredible. That orchestra just sounded so amazing, as did all Bonkers. of yours. After Doctor's Orders, we really go into this ballad-heavy <laughs> second act. I mean, sure. one after the other. First up is Don't Be a Stranger for Paula, the mom, mm-hmm. which, oh my gosh, it's so sad. It's so sad, Jay, that, that 
These parents, when Carl Hanratty goes to interview them about where Frank Jr. might be, they don't ever say like, well, tell if you find him, tell him I love him. Right. They say, when you find him, tell him to not be a stranger. Like, that's as, that's as much as they can give. <laughs> no wonder he's out searching for love and <laughs> I connection. Mean, these, <laughs> these two parents talk about, like, having a child when you're not ready to have a child. Just yeah. poster children for parenting for all the wrong reasons. America, hon. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sanctity of marriage. That's right. Uh, then, in addition to Don't Be a Stranger... You have Little Boy Be a Man. Oh, that one's kind of, I mean, that one's fun. Yeah, that one's a good one. Hanratty and uh, the dad kind of talking about how terrible their fathers were. Yeah, um, that like toxic masculinity that kind of sets a lot of men on a certain course in life. I mean, absolutely. I have a little bit of that in my life growing up in the South. And I believe the, the words suck it up were said to me on many occasions by my Southern father, you know, so I fully Way related. Way to go, Texas. Yeah, right? <laughs> Texas oh forever. <laughs> sorry. Suck it up. It is what it is. It Made is. me who I am today. That's right. And, and you can kick your face because of it. That's you right. You sucked it up. That's right. <laughs> Frank Jr., meets one of the nurses and really falls in love with her. Her name is Brenda Strong, infamously played by Amy Adams in the movie version and infamously played by one Carrie Butler Carrie in the Butler. musical. Yeah. Another Mark Shaman stalwart team member. For sure. With a voice like an angel. The song that Frank Jr. sings to Brenda to really kind of drive home how much he loves her is complicated. He he basically says, you know, I have seen the most beautiful things in the world and you are not that. Yeah, cuz she's <laughs> like, why? She's like, why are you in love with me? I'm just I'm so plain say? and ordinary. I'm and yeah, ordinary. It, he says, ordinary is beautiful. I've seen the seven wonders. <laughs> um whatever they they're in love. It's and a gorgeous the, song. I mean, I, and the sentiment it, is beautiful. The sentiment <laughs> is beautiful, 100%. Then she takes him to uh, meet her, her parents because now they're going to, like, get engaged. Like, he is ready to give up the con life and settle down with this girl. And uh, Hanratty's not willing to let him go just that easy. He can't just pretend that he didn't break the law consistently over all of this time right is that when we hit family tree is that that wild <laughs> so then brenda and frank jr go to meet the family and they sit down to watch kind of like a lawrence welk show type thing on tv and um and start singing the song called family tree oh my god with linda hart and nick wyman as brenda's parents linda Jim hart the original ba miss baltimore crabs that's right. And I think Nick Wyman was the president of Actors' Equity Association at the time. So he was, was like he really? Mr. President. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's uh, a wild number. I mean, 
it's exciting because it's it's got like the New Orleans like jazz band feel, which is very cool. But like the the staging of that number with like the maypole and the ribbons, I mean, it was all very busy, and I never quite understood it. <laughs> and it was like a shit show trying to put. I it didn't together know there was dancers. a maypole. Oh my it was goodness! Wild. It was truly wild. Uh, I had I didn't really know what they were trying to do with it, but you know they were trying to make it like a New Orleans. You know, jazz band extravaganza moment. Interesting. It was super wild. (laughs) But what I mean, the purpose of it is it's once again giving Frank Jr. the family he never had. Yeah. And I think that that's where Mark and Scott do a really good job of taking this TV special and trying to find ways to forward the plot as opposed to just make it a performance. Because that's that's what Norbert was talking about in the rehearsal process. It's like if you take this very dramatic story and like just place a television film musical performance in it, you're taking out the kind of drama. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is one of those moments where they were kind of helping to forward the story by showing this like family that's growing and this, this love that's forming between these people before the, you know, the final shoe drops for Frank. Yeah, I get that. This great celebration in Maple, apparently are, are interrupted by Hanratty of finally being able to track down Frank because he says they always make a mistake. And the mistake was that their engagement was announced in the newspaper. <laughs> and and so uh, so he's able to, to track them down. Frank has to like crawl out the window and leave and uh, assures Brenda that he loves her. She asks him his actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, she's devastated that he's not actually a Lutheran. One of the funniest lines in the show. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And after he leaves, promising that they will be together, she sings Fly, Fly Away. What do you say? What do you say? It's a, this is like a perfect song. It's perfectly constructed. Once again, taking some sort of niche part of 1960s music, this sounds like a Carol King song. For sure. And those backup vocals are like butter. Mm. I mean, Carrie soars. I mean, the key change at the end is so good. I mean, it it really is a great, great feature. And it's just Carrie standing center stage and doing what she does best. That's awesome. <laughs> Love that song. Me too. So now after Fly Fly Away, we're back at the airport. And Carl says, all right, story's done. So now now that you had your, the chance to tell this whole audience your story, it's time to pack it up. And that's when Frank Jr. sings goodbye. Explain this to me, how it was staged. What's wild is that, and I might be analyzing this incorrectly, but it seems like goodbye, the conceit around it was like, okay, we're stopping the, sh- we're stopping the show. Like, this is where Frank Abagnale Jr. is stripping away all of the lights and the glitz and the glamour. The of, facade of it all. Uh, yeah, um... So the, like the people. ensemble wasn't in it; it was just him. No, yeah, <gasps> really, because it's such it, a biz, it's such a big sound. I'm like, yeah. there's no way that it would just be him, but it is just him. Yeah, and like you know, a lot of the set does fly away, and you end in kind of like a work light environment at the end of the song for the final moment between Hanratty and Frank to be finally taken in. And can I mean, talk to me about singing goodbye? Does, like, is this? Be honest, is this just where your voice lives? Or are you like good there? Um, cause I don't think I would ever be good there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's maybe one of the hardest songs I've ever had to sing. And I have had to sing this on a few occasions. I did a couple of like press events that Aaron couldn't show up to at like JFK airport. And, um, I oh, sang wow. this, I sang it 
there was like a, a a cabaret at 54 below where I sang goodbye and I actually sang it during the pandemic for this thing called Quarantunes that was raising money for Broadway Care. So uh, it's a song that does keep coming back around when they ask Aaron if he wants to do it and he says no, then they come find me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's it was way harder um, as a young 20 something in my voice. Um, now that I'm a little older and my voice has matured a bit, uh, it's it is kind of within my wheelhouse. I I I can kind of live up there. That's I have awesome. a lower register. I mean, I, Aaron Aaron's voice sits in that like tenor timbre um yeah. in like the most incredible I mean, alive or I'm alive from next to normal. I mean, yeah, like that's it's him. just yeah. Um but you know, I have a great voice teacher that I've been working with for a really long time, and um, and I do love I, that, that. It's an eleven o'clock number, you know. It's, it is it's another showstopper, and it's again genius composition by Mark and Scott. Stylistically, what do you think they're drawing on there? Oh man, I can't quite figure it out. I because it all it almost doesn't sound sixties. It might be the one song that it doesn't feel squarely from that time because you've got that like electric guitar and i may be totally inventing something here but my idea was maybe it's the one song that's a little more future because it's about saying goodbye to the past instead of him living in this you know sound of of the 60s of this era he's like breaking out of it and so it it may be going to maybe more of a 70s sound maybe a little bit of bgs in there i don't know yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Is that like look to the future, forget about the past kind of sound, which I'm on board with. Sounds yeah. right to me. Okay, cool. I like that. Done. <laughs> it's gospel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, when was Frank Abagnale caught? Just googled it. He was arrested on Valentine's Day, 1969. So we oh, we wow. are on the precipice We're on the of precipice. the 70s. Yes. Yeah. So I guess you know we could probably find some more guitar. Yeah. You know, 70s sounds in there. Absolutely. Way to go, Mark and Scott. You did it. They done did it. The show then ends with like these these two foils, like you keep saying, and I love that, finding themselves and finding a, a connection, dare I say, like a catharsis mm-hmm. by knowing that they went through this together. It reminds me, okay, I this is this is crazy that I'm about to bring this up. I did not expect to talk about Andre Agassi on on the podcast about Catch Me If You Can. But he, Andre Agassi, famous tennis player, wrote an autobiography. And in it, he talks about like the craziest match he ever played. And I can't I honestly can't even remember who won. But like after that match, they went, which was just hours and hours and hours long. They were both in the locker room area to wait for the trainers to come and work on them. And they're both laying on the table and they like have tears in their eyes and they like reach out and touch each other because like they went through it and they're the only other person that would know what it was like to go through that. Hmm. Even though they were against each other the entire time and were trying to, to be the winner, the only other person who knows exactly what happened was that person. And I feel like that's what's happening here is like this has been such a journey and the only one who really knows is the one that you're exactly against. Right. It's the, I mean, Hanratty's supposed to be at the top of his game. He's like the smartest guy in the room when it comes to like finding the bad guys and then the bad guys at the top of his game, the smartest in the room when it comes to conning people. So it really are these two humans meeting (laughs) at the end. 
yeah of a of a long match <laughs> yeah and how it goes is frank says well how do we end this and carl says we'll do it your way let's do it your way with the musical number they do a, a song called stuck together and then like at the end of the song they kind of like break the fourth wall not that it hadn't been broken because we're in a tv special but they kind of give like Frank Abagnale Jr. served seven years and was released uh, for good behavior behavior. and then came and worked for the FBI and now we're partners. We're stuck forever together now, which is strange, but true. And that is strange. Truly strange. Truly strange. The biggest con man in America now works for the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness he was white. There you go. That's correct. (laughs) Damn. This would be a very different story. (laughs) Freaking America, man. Wow, such a such a crazy story that somehow feels like it could only have happened here and in this time period. And so what a cool way to take advantage of that by using music that could have only happened in this time period. It's really it's really fun to revisit. I like this show a lot. I do too. And I've been chasing, I mean, you know, I'm getting a little long in the tooth for it, but you could been, so do this. <laughs> I've been chasing the show. I mean, I've I've still never performed the role and it's it's been this like over a decades long like need to actually f- fulfill that. Um, it has it has now become the mission of a musical theater podcast to get you cast. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> in your like own I, production. Like I was in final callbacks for um Newsies when I went to Broadway and I had done like a workshop of it before it went to paper mill and then I didn't get it because Jeremy Jordan got it because Bonnie and Clyde closed. And sure. so like, I, I have a really great relationship with the Muni in St. Louis. So when they did newsies, I like begged for the role and they let me do it. So I'm kind of hoping that the Muni, that the Muni will, does catch me. Yeah. We'll just produce catch me if you can't cause it's a huge venue. So my 35 yes. year old ass could maybe pass as a 17 year old from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> How tall are you? You're a tall dude, aren't you? I'm like 5'9". I'm like very really? average. Yeah. Which is hilarious because I was, um, while doing Catch Me If You Can, I was really nervous that I was like two, three inches shorter than Aaron. So I asked William Ivy Long if he would put like riser, risers in, lifts, in yeah. my show, lifts in my show shoes. And he said, yeah, I will do that. But just as a lesson, if you carry yourself like you're tall, people will think that you're tall, which is this like life lesson Come I took on, from William Ivy Long. William I- <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm a queer kid that was raised in the South in the '90s and early 2000s, and so I very much like protect my heart and hide, and I have kind of bad posture. So that in my <laughs> early 20s to kind of be told by this like stalwart of musical theater costuming that like you if you just hold your head high and walk into a room like you own it very much like frank abagnale jr did his entire life yeah. then like maybe you won't need those lifts um, so that was just kind of a, a life lesson from william ivy long <laughs> that's beautiful that's great right? that's a great way to end this jay thank oh. you so much for doing this this has been really really fun i've loved hanging out fun As always, if you have recommendations for shows that we cover on a musical theater podcast, just like Jen and Aaron, feel free to email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at amusicalpodcast. We're also on TikTok. We have Patreon exclamation point where for only $1 a month, you can receive bonus content and support the show. Don't forget about our Tee Public store, which has uh, listener designs and lots of great stuff. 
all the profits we receive from that go to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. More than anything, you all know I love you, and I'm so grateful for this podcast community that I am a part of. Hey, Jay, how do we follow you, and what's going on in your life? Uh, you can follow me on socials at J underscore A underscore Johnson, because um, I want to make your life terrible. Um, <laughs> Uh, I also am producing I Put a Spell on You Alive at Sony Hall, which is um, a Halloween musical extravaganza party celebration, um, which benefits Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And that's going to be on October 23rd at Sony Hall. Um, Tickets will go on sale very soon. So come get spooky with us. Amazing. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you for sharing all of your experiences. And... um... Can't wait to see what what's next for you. You're awesome. Hey, thanks. You're awesome. Everybody out there, thank you for listening. And remember, Norbert Leo Butts is always right. <laughs>